It's good evening to you all. Uh, welcome to St. John's again. Uh, my name is Aaron, assistant pastor here. Uh, for those who might not have seen me before, I think I've seen some new faces or some might have been here, but I wasn't here when you were here. Uh, so let's uh, say a quick prayer. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for, for your love for us. And thank you for making yourself known to us through your word. Uh, we pray that you open our eyes so that we might see the wonder of your words. Um, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, does anyone enjoy traveling? Uh, in particular, flying. Uh, I, I used to love flying on the airplanes when I was younger. I used to. <laughs> Especially long-haul flights. Uh, the longer the flight, the better. And if you can time it well, uh, a 12-hour flight, you could possibly fit six films over that 12-hour journey. Um, my, my record was um, squeezing nine and a half films over um, a 23-hour flight from New Zealand to England. Uh, the reason that was half there is because I didn't time it properly. So it got cut short. <laughs> uh, yeah, but um, after I got on my friend's micro light four years ago, it all changed. I no longer enjoy normal uh, half flight. Uh, well, sitting next to the pilot just takes you to a whole new world. Uh, obviously, you get to see a lot more. You are not limited to that little tiny screen in front of your seat or that little side window. You, know, you, can, you can try to see what you can see outside, and then half of the view was blocked by the wing. Uh, well, the, the view from the cockpit is just unbelievably incredible. Uh, but the best thing to me wasn't just the view up there. Uh, it was getting to know my friend, Ben, as the pilot, and got to see what he did as the pilot. I got to know him on a very different level just by sitting next to him. I got to know him more than I knew him previously as merely a friend who I got along very well with. And I still remember vividly witnessing my friend Ben doing all the piloty thing uh, before, before the actual flight. Um, he had to do the pre-flight check, going through a list of things and take them, make sure the flight, the, the plan was okay. And then he would radio the control tower um, for the weather condition and requesting permission for departure, etc. I was just fascinated by how professional Ben was. And after radioing back and forth with the tower, Ben then started to taxi the micro light to the runway. And then he said to the tower, uh, I try to read it. Golf Kilo Oscar, check in approaching and enter runway 21 for departure. And the tower radioed back for the final time. Golf Kilo Oscar, that's his registration. Uh, you are cleared for takeoff. Ben gave me a big smile and then he radioed back. Golf Kilo Oscar, rolling 21. And Ben looked and sounded so professional. I just knew I could count on him 
for a pleasant and a safe journey to wherever he was taking me to. I didn't even know where he was flying to. And then before I knew it, I was in the air with Ben. Uh, as Dan had already reminded us of what we learned from last week, um, and I encourage those who weren't here last week to catch up and listen to Tom's sermon in your own time um, so that you won't be missing out. And then if you listen to the sermon, you will know what I mean by missing out. I'll leave that to you. And thank you, Dan, for reading verse, verses 13 and 14, the beginning of this service. We were told that um, if you have your Bible open, you could peek over to verse 13 and 14. We were told that it was in Jesus we have redemption. And it was in him our sins are forgiven. It was God who has rescued us and has brought us into the kingdom of his beloved son. And that word bring in verse 13, in past tense, brought, um, in our NIV Bible, means to transfer or to transport from one place to the other. So God has transferred us to his kingdom. And I couldn't help but to imagine and then draw that connection of flying an airplane. Uh, we are on a private jet to our heavenly home. And Jesus is our pilot captain who flies the jet, who brings us to his kingdom. And bear in mind that this is a letter that Paul wrote to the Colossian, Colossian believers to help them deal with people who are telling them they need more than Jesus. So here, Paul's helping us to see who Jesus is, what he's like, and how we can know he's indeed the only qualified pilot captain who could take us home to his kingdom. So firstly, Jesus is God. Verse 15, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now Paul has jam-packed lots and lots of juicy and meaty details and contents in just a few verses. But he started with this one, and saying that the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And this verse is one of the biggest ones um, where the cults got it wrong. They've misinterpreted this, this verse. And it's, instead of looking at the context and chewing on what the context say about Jesus, they took this verse uh, ultra literally and say, look, Jesus is the image of God. Just like Adam and Eve who were made in the image of God. And since Jesus was the firstborn, it must mean that he's also created. And so therefore, Jesus is the first being which God created. And Paul, Paul's emphasis here, on the other hand, was on the deity of Christ, the equality of Christ with the original invisible God. And although he looked, sorry, Although he took on human form, he was the exact nature of his father. So seeing the visible Jesus equals seeing God, 
the Father, the Invisible. And the word firstborn here in verse 15 and in verse 18. And notice that it isn't first created, but it was firstborn. And in the culture at the time, firstborn does not necessarily mean first child born. Uh, instead, it usually signifies priority. So firstborn referred not to birth order, but to rank. Firstborn was often used as the title to express status. And I think one of the reasons why the word firstborn was used is because if you read on over the next few verses, the firstborn has the right to leadership in the household. And verse 18 tells us that Jesus is the head of the body, the church, his house. And the firstborn has the right to inheritance bless you, and possession. So you see, Jesus, the firstborn, was not created, but has always existed in the eternity past. So this, this whole thing is really hard to grasp, but I'll try to say it more and see if you could get what I'm saying. Um, verse 16, in him, all things were created. All things have been created through him and for him including things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. So, but uh, with what the codes believe, there's a problem right there. And if we were to take on the wrong view, um, the codes view, with a wrong logic like them, then you see, if Jesus indeed created all things, including the invisible things, back to verse 15, Paul says, God is invisible. So does that mean, dare I say, God was created by Jesus? Because God, God was invisible. It doesn't make sense, does it? Nor would it make sense if Jesus was first created. Because if Jesus was created, then verse 17 wouldn't make sense. Uh, if he was first created, then he obviously wasn't before all things. So Paul is very logic, log logical in his thinking to help us think logically. Uh, back to verse 16. All things have been created through him and for him. And uh, you're all familiar with what the Bible says about the creation account in Genesis chapter 1. How did God create the world? Anyone brave enough to shout out the answer? Speaking, thanks. Uh, that's right. I was going to say, did he, um, did he wave a wand and go pew, 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 and create the world? But no, he spoke, and the world came to be. Uh, Modi read for us from Luke chapter 8. Jesus spoke, and the wind and the waves calmed down immediately. The disciples were amazed. Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obeyed him. As God become man, Jesus demonstrated that power. He has absolute power over his own creation. So we must conclude that Jesus is God himself. But what's more amazing about that is that 
Jesus' own will, and, and it was his own will uh, to take on the visible human form, to become 100% human. And then through his human form, when he died on the cross and later raised from the dead, verse 18, to prove that he's the firstborn from among the dead, to demonstrate that he has power over death, so that we could truly say, in everything, he has supremacy. And hopefully, you are now convinced that Jesus is indeed the sovereign God over all things. And if, if the sovereign Jesus tells you that he has already rescued, rescued you uh, who believed in him, and he is, the only, he is the one taking you to his kingdom, and there's nothing more you can do about that, surely you can count on Jesus to take you to his kingdom, right? Um, but here comes a big problem, another problem which takes us to our second point. That Jesus is not only God who is sovereign, but he's also the God who cares. So what's the big problem? Verse 21, Paul reminds us that we were enemies of God. Alienated, separated from God because of all the evils that we did. Because of who we were, as God's enemies, we wouldn't even be on the flight in the first place. You see, that, that's the problem. Because enemies are to be defeated. They are not to be welcomed. Um, I still remember 11 months ago when um, Russia started their special military operation. And then a month into the war, Putin gave a speech and he, he paraphrased what Jesus said about showing greater love by laying down one's life for his friends. Putin basically says that the Russian soldiers who are in the front lines were showing great love for their friends by taking bullets and laying down their souls for each other whilst fighting their enemies. Putin misuses Jesus' words. Really, he was calling his soldiers to lay down their lives to his regime uh, for his own, own um, personal ambition. But Jesus' version of showing love was the total opposite to Putin's. In fact, in fact, Jesus chose to take the blow for his enemies. He chose to die for us so that we can be reconciled to God. Uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, um, While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And this is how God demonstrated his love for us. And Paul, uh, back to our passage, he then moves to the present, verse 22, by saying that Christ has now reconciled them in his body through his death in order to present us holy and without blemish, free from accusation. Once we were his enemies, but are now reconciled to him. And just what does the word reconcile mean? So all those, all those big words that Paul decided to use. Uh, reconcile 
simply simply means this. Um, well, if you if you plan to meet me after the service, precisely at 7:45 p.m. at KFC uh, to grab a bite with me, because I'm buying. Um, it would be imperative that our watches uh, be reconciled or in agreement. So notice Paul says we are reconciled to God, not God to us. God didn't change his watch. We were the ones who were messed up and out of sync. See, Jesus cared enough that he, being the supreme owner of the universe, he took the initiative. He came to offer himself as a sacrifice so that whoever believes in him can be reconciled to God. And we should, we should be grateful for that. So not only is Jesus God supreme above all, but he also cared enough for us and loved us to the point that he sacrificed himself on the cross while we were still sinners in order to reconcile us to God, to show us his love. He's the pilot, captain, who you can count on. And speaking of that, lastly, you really, really can, and you should continue to put your trust in him. Um, back to the airplane analogy. We are on a flight, destination, Jesus' kingdom. And Jesus, our God, our captain is our pilot who flies the jet. And sometimes you fly into the clouds and the visibility is zero. And sometimes you're flying through turbulences or even thunderstorms and then you get scared. But hey, what can you do about it? Uh, really, there's nothing you can do about it. Uh, Nothing you can do to change the course of the flight. It's headed towards Jesus' heavenly kingdom. Um, there's something you can do, that, sorry, there's nothing you can do that would change um, your status as Jesus' passenger in the flight. He rescued you and he put you on a flight. It's, it's a done deal. Uh, with all your sins wiped, forgiven, Jesus made you a passenger on the flight, spotlessly clean, free of any charges, without any blemish. You're on the flight because you have heard the gospel and have accepted Jesus as your captain, as your Lord and your savior. So you're not, you're no longer God's enemy, but his friend. That's why you are on the flight. So that's it. Those are the facts. Um, you are on board his indestructible flight just like when the apostles disciples were with Jesus on the boat because Jesus was on the boat the boat was not going to sink whatever the circumstances you are in they don't change those facts but when we forget we are held secure and kept safe by Jesus then often we go into the panic mode we're going to crash. We're going to die. Oh, I wish I could do a better cry voice. Anyways, uh, when we lose sight of the unchanging facts, that's when things go wrong. Uh, frustrations, emptiness, 
lack of peace or purpose, uh, missing out on God's best for us. These are just part of what we experience when we try to be master of our life. When you think you know better than Jesus how to fly the jet, and then you're telling him to step aside and let you take control of the flight. Remember, there's nothing you can do to change who Jesus is. There's nothing you can do to change what he has done for you. And there's nothing that will change who you are and where you are now in Jesus. But, sorry, there's one thing you, you could actually do, though. Um, verse 23. Paul urges the Colossian believers to continue in their faith, established and firm, and don't move from the hope held out in the gospel. I think he, if he was speaking um, using our lingo, modern-day lingo, he would say, get a grip, sit tight, or, or stand still. I think Jesus was telling us just to sit tight and continue to remember who he is and believe what he says. Remember who he is and what he has done for us to, um, that reconciled us to God. Hold on to his words and believe. This shows that we have faith in him. Unlike the commercial jets that you usually fly in, um, the plane you are on with Jesus has an open cockpit. You have constant access to your pilot, Captain Jesus. You're free to go to his cockpit. And you, can, you can really can look at him, fix your eyes on him. And you get to see how he flies the jet. You can chat with him and get to know him through prayer and hearing his word in the Bible. That's what it means to continue in your faith. Remember, Jesus is the pilot. The one who is supreme above all is in control. The one who loves and cares for you is the one taking you to his kingdom. And that means you can and should place your faith in the trustworthiness of the aircraft. That's his word. And in Jesus himself, the pilot who flies it. Our feelings of confidence or fear will never affect the ability of the jet to transport us. Though they, they do affect how much we, we enjoy the trip. So in the same way, we as Christians do not depend on feelings or emotions, but we continue in our faith by placing our trust in the trustworthiness of God and the promises of his word. That's why Paul concluded his, this, this section by telling the Colossian believers that his role as a servant of the gospel was indeed to preach what's been preached. You see, the bottom line is Paul wanted the believers to know that if Jesus is not Lord of everything, then he is the Lord of nothing. But since Jesus is God and he cares, then therefore we really can count on him. Sit tight or stand still and continue in our faith. Let us pray.
our loving Heavenly Father. Thank you so much that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Thank you that Jesus Christ is your image, the firstborn over all creation. And thank you that through him, we get to see you and know you. Thank you for your great love and for taking the initiative to reconcile us to you through Jesus' blood shed on the cross. Help us with your Holy Spirit to remember who you are and all that you have done so that we can remain established and firm and continue to put our trust in you daily. In Jesus' sovereign name we pray. Amen. Thanks very much, Aaron. So we're going to come to the Lord's table and we're going to remember Jesus' death that has brought those who trust in him into that kingdom that we heard about in Colossians. That um, because